and welcome back to Regen's Transforming Energy podcast, where we will be talking about hydrogen, discussing the pros and cons of integrating a new fuel into our energy system. I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm Grace Millman, and I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Johnny Gowdy and Ray Arrell. Johnny is a podcast veteran now at Regen, and is also director here. With almost 30 years of industry experience in the energy sector, he has recently written an insight paper on the hydrogen value chain. Ray is head of technical development for Regen and the ESN, and he sits on the Future of Gas steering group. I've also recently learned that he's lead singer in a heavy metal band, so he's gone up in my expectations a lot. Welcome to the podcast. So hydrogen, it seems to be all anyone is talking about, and some people love it, some people hate it. Johnny, why is Regen looking into hydrogen? Hi, Grace. Um, yeah, hydrogen has kind of become a bit of a hot topic, I, I guess, over the last 18 months, maybe back to the declaration that we're going to achieve net zero back in 2019. Because, of course, net zero requires us to fully decarbonize, or at least to decarbonize down to the point where we can achieve a, a net zero a, um, emissions. And because of that, it's really forced us to confront some of those harder to decarbonize sectors. So, Areas like industry, aviation, marine, and a, um, heavy transport. And it's forced us to really consider what is the fuel solution for, for those sectors. And hydrogen, although it's been around for a while, it's not a new fuel. In fact, in some, in some sense, it's quite an old fuel. But it's certainly now become an area of interest, an area of innovation, because it has the potential to treat those, those sectors. The Heineken fuel, as they call, they call it, it reaches the parts of the economy other fuels don't reach. Yeah, you said um, hydrogen, it's not new for the UK. We already produce about 27 terawatt hours of it a year. But what is the difference between that hydrogen and the hydrogen we're going to be talking about? Well, the, the main difference, I guess, is we're talking about low carbon hydrogen. I mean, the grey hydrogen we produce at the moment, which is produced from uh, reformation of methane, is very carbon intensive, and, and that's not really a solution. So we need to not only upscale hydrogen production, but we also need to decarbonize hydrogen production. And the two main methods of that, I guess, would be another form of methane reformation, but with carbon capture and storage, and that's often referred to as blue hydrogen, or using electrolysis, so using electricity and water essentially to produce hydrogen, which if the electricity is decarbonized, renewable, as it will be in the future, then that offers not only a low carbon fuel, but also potential use of our renewable electricity, particularly at times when we have excess supply. It reminds me a bit of um, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat with all the colours of hydrogen at the moment. I think we've got green, <laughs> blue, grey, purple. Turquoise. 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 I heard this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a, a good point, actually, because hydrogen can be produced in lots of different ways. And that's one of the areas of complexity and richness around the, the value chain. There's lots of potential ways in which we could produce hydrogen, which could better utilize our other energy resources and, and help to convert and store energy from other sources. Ray, these industries we're talking about, we've got well, industry and heavy transports. These are places that are normally delivered with gas, and that's what they normally run on. What do you see the future of the gas sector being? Another gas sector getting on board with hydrogen or what are they thinking around it? Yeah, hi Grace. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing. As Johnny talks about, hydrogen is is a new fuel and that means a number of different things. It means not just we need to consider how it's produced, but we also need to consider how it's delivered, how it's transported, how it's stored, 
and all of the end sectors that end up using it as well. And the sector that we currently have as, as a gas sector is obviously taking hydrogen very seriously. And I guess one thing to mention is that the existing incumbent system we have, uh, where we have an interconnected gas network and system that supplies gas to all of the end users, is only one sort of outcome and one example of what might happen in the future if we are to convert to using hydrogen. You know, there are other potential outcomes that could happen where we have specific clusters or, or dedicated zones which are for hydrogen and we have other technologies and other fuels that happen elsewhere. So in terms of the gas sector and what it's um, around hydrogen, as, as, as you mentioned in, in your excellent intro, I sit on the Future Gas Steering Group and that, that steering group is, is a sort of cross-sector board of, of representatives all the way from Bayes and Ofgem all down to sort of the individual consultants um, like Regen and others. And they're really exploring all elements of what a future hydrogen sector could look like from gas quality and how you deal with that in terms of hydrogen coming to the system, the safety considerations around that of hydrogen as a different molecule that gets delivered, as well as fundamental things like how you bill and meter customers to use it. Yeah, if I could just uh, expand on that a little bit, uh, Ray. Um, in, in the paper we just written, we talked about the different distribution channels that could operate within a uh, using hydrogen. It's quite interesting. I mean, hydrogen is different to natural gas, and we shouldn't confuse the two, although they are both gases. And one of the key differences is that with hydrogen, we have a production process. So at the moment, natural gas, it's a, a virtually a just-in-time supply chain. We have gas landings from UK continental shelf. We have interconnectors to Europe. And, and by and large, on a daily basis, we're able to fill up the gas network and we have line pack storage, which actually delivers the energy that we need. And therefore, our gas storage, which we have is about six to 12 days, depending on the time of year, is really a strategic storage and used for some degree for price arbitrage. Uh, with hydrogen, we have a production process, a manufacturing process in there, and that brings with it the constraints and the need to optimize the supply chain. So there's still a discussion to be had about does hydrogen fit into a national transmission, a national distribution system in the same way that we use natural gas? Or is the hydrogen supply chain going to look quite different? Could it be much more localized and decentralized with production based in, uh, in clusters close to the customer with very short supply chains and localized storage um, really tailored around a, a demand-driven uh, um, sector, if you like? So much more localized than, than we're used to dealing with with natural gas. I think that's what's really good about green hydrogen is that the electrolyzer units that produce the hydrogen are modular. So you could have a one megawatt electrolyzer. A lot of what we're seeing at the moment is you know, half a megawatt to a megawatt, but they can scale up really easily to become 10 megawatts, 100 megawatts, etc. So you don't need to have a centralized plant and then to be transporting the hydrogen, distributing hydrogen, you can have an electrolyzer right by where it needs to be used. I think blue hydrogen, because it's with natural gas, it will more likely lend itself to being used on the networks that we already have, even if they need upgrading. But with that comes the problem about transportation. Yeah, I think so, Grace. I mean, it's, it's interesting that in this is a sort of burgeoning sector and the companies that look into develop technologies to produce hydrogen, they're kind of 
adjusting to the demand from, from the market, essentially. So who is after hydrogen? Where do they want it? What do they want to do with it? Well, how do they want to use it? And as your analysis in some of the work that we've been doing recently with Scottish and Southern has shown, a lot of that demand-led leads to where electrolyzers might be located. Will they be at fueling stations? Will they be at rail depots to help you know, rail networks decarbonize? What about shipping you know, and, and aviation even? The end user pull rather than the production push, which is something that I know um, you mentioned, Johnny, in your paper, is a really interesting dynamic that, that maybe not the whole sector is considering at the minute. Yeah, hydrogen actually reminds me a lot more of my days when I used to work in the oil and gas sector. I was involved in refinery optimization, and the refiner would look at his slate of products that they could produce in the refinery, where the customers were, where the markets were, how they're going to distribute that product. And it's a much more kind of rich and complex um, sort of value chain, to use that to use that expression, than the kind of homogenous commodity that electricity is and, and increasingly uh, and, and natural gases as well. So that richness in the supply chain is actually great because it's from an economic point of view, from a jobs point of view, from innovation, investment, it's a really opportunity-rich environment where we could use hydrogen for lots of different things. And I think the trick, particularly over the next sort of five to 10 years, when we're still in a period of innovation and, and technology development, is to really home in on where is that demand coming from? Where is the real value of hydrogen, both from the point of view of decarbonization, but also from the point of view of, of, of the, the proposition to the customer in terms of a new fuel type? So there's lots of steps to this that we've just you know, talked about. Obviously, hydrogen, although it's one of the most abundant elements, it's always found combined with other things, and it doesn't just lie around as hydrogen. So there's the extraction and production process, then we have the refining process and purification. So for transport, hydrogen needs to be a certain level of purity. So there's that. There's the transportation process. We've talked about storage. This seems a lot more complicated than, say, getting electricity from a solar panel. What are the costs, therefore, that are implicated by that? Well, Grace, that is the million-dollar question. The, the gorilla in the jacuzzi, as I like to call it, is <laughs> my favourite Johnny. Uh, no, no. We know what Johnny's been doing during lockdown. <laughs> that that is a big question. I mean, at the moment, you know, in terms of benchmarks, we we have grey hydrogen, which is which, as I said, it, it is not suitable for the future. It's it's high um, highly carbon intensive. You know, we're looking at production costs there in Europe of between two and two and a half euros per kilogram, which is sort of between 50 and 65 pounds per megawatt hour. Um, that's expensive. I mean, that's an, that's not a cheap fuel by any means. And if we think about blue hydrogen would be an additional process and carbon capture and the storage of that that would need to be added in, then obviously we're talking about a, a, you know, a relatively expensive fuel. Now, definitely costs will come down. And there's opportunities to scale, there's opportunities for innovation, and also the feedstocks themselves. And if we get to a future with very high levels of renewable energy, we can imagine substantial periods of time when electricity will be very cheap, particularly if we have you know, solar and wind and days when the, the wind's blowing and the sun's shining. Or other parts of the world, Saudi Arabia, for example, where we might see solar costs down at you know, less than £20 a megawatt hour, even £10 per megawatt hour. So the opportunity might be there, particularly with electrolysis and, and green hydrogen, to use very low-cost electricity in order to produce hydrogen at a, a competitive price. 
the question is competitive with what? If it's we're talking about transport, then it's competitive with um, you know, diesel and petrol. And that could happen quite quickly, I would say. If we're talking about industrial processes, then we might be competitive with gas or coke or, or electricity usage. That's going to be more difficult unless we have a proper carbon price. If we're talking about heat in domestic um, homes, then I have to say hydrogen still looks like quite a, a, an expensive fuel, and it probably will be in the future as well. So we'd be looking at a substantially more expensive fuel for domestic heating than the current price of natural gas, for example. I think there's um, there's also other elements to that cost stack, that Jenga stack, because other than obviously production costs, you've got to consider the uh, the cost to deliver this fuel to its customers, and also the 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 end consumers, whether that is an industrial refinery or or, or someone that uses a, a gaseous fuel, all the way down to maybe potentially domestic customers as well. It's the changing of those equipment costs that we need to also consider. So is a electricity generator that used to run on natural gas wants to run on hydrogen. There's a lot of cost considerations as to whether that's even viable to think about, but actually changing the um, end unit equipment to be able to run on that new gas is something that we need to consider, as well as appliances possibly in, uh, in buildings and in the home. Yeah, so if we think about hydrogen costs, I mean, I would say I'm, I'm sick my neck out a little bit. Um, it's, it's, it's just a podcast after all. You know, if we got down to single figures per kilowatt hour, that would be a pretty good outcome. If you think about the production costs, as I mentioned, and as Ray adds in, the additional distribution costs, remembering that hydrogen is a much less dense energy fuel than, or but by volume than, than natural gas. And we also think about the need for additional storage, both logistical storage and seasonal storage. So it certainly would be a competitive fuel when it comes to those industries that would, that would be faced with a carbon price and potentially you know, those industries that have no other alternative because their only other alternative is burning coke or coal at the moment. But when it comes to, to heat and a, uh, heat use, I think it will have a role to play, but it's still to be seen whether that is a marginal role, maybe in some clusters, or whether it could ever be a more, um, a more widespread role or a national role, for example. And that is one of the big strategic questions that we're going to have to address in the next 10 years. And I think you know, the people at Bayes and all, are looking at the UK's heat strategy are very aware of the fact that we need to think about what role could hydrogen play within that. Yeah, it's definitely important. Obviously, we think about most of our houses and they're currently all heated by natural gas. We need to have an option. But also bringing that price down to a point where the consumers don't feel it too much. I don't know if we're going to get there. And I think if we can't get there by itself, that's where we need the policy intervention. We need the, the subsidy schemes through Bayes to encourage hydrogen to be taken up. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to to touch on, Grace, that other than incentives, when we're talking about things like heat, we're actually talking about people's lives and their comfort and their health. Um, and when you start to to think this this may change, the little device that sits in the corner of your house may, may be different. Uh, you might need to buy another one because what fuels it at the minute is going to change, guys. That's a serious thing, you know, that, that we talk about the economics of this and the the practicalities, um, but at the end of the day, you're you're making sure that you know, my my parents are still warm at their in their house, and uh, 
and you know can they afford to buy a new unit and regardless of what technology that is that's a that's a real consideration that when we when we have a strategy from government they take that into account i think yeah of course the challenge with heat is that there isn't really a status quo that we can maintain so one way or another whether it's hydrogen or electrification or other low carbon heating sources we're going to have to make a big change and i think that discussion that we need to have you know it's a policy discussion but it's also a societal discussion needs to start now if we're going to be bringing in those changes towards the back end of this decade going back to one of your points earlier johnny um we talked about hydrogen being useful in hard to decarbonize sectors but what do we actually what do we mean by hard to decarbonize is that hard to electrify or is it to do with the processes involved it's a bit of both, I would say. I mean, it does vary by sector, but if we think about heavy transport, for example, I mean, there is a there is a point where the you know the weight of the battery that you would need to put into an HGV vehicle and the size of the battery and the cost of that reaches a critical point where it's no longer economically sensible. Now that might change. I mean, battery costs are coming down, etc. So I think there is a there's an ongoing competition for solutions for those areas like HGVs, for example. Aviation is another good example. Marine is a good example as well. Um, so either it's you know to do with this whole question of the, the, the weight, the size of a electrification solution like a battery versus a fuel like hydrogen or other fuels like synthetic fuels, for example, um, which again could use hydrogen as one of their feedstocks. And there's also a question of the type of energy that you need. If you need a very high thermal temperature, for example, in um, you know processes, then you may want to look for a thermal fuel like like hydrogen could provide. These are all areas of innovation, and I don't think we have the exact answers at the moment. I'm quite excited by the idea that you know, for example, hydrogen could be combined with captured carbon to create new synthetic fuels. It's a new hydrocarbon. And that would have a, a win-win-win, if you like. We could have hydrogen using renewable electricity whenever it's very cheap, and we could have hydrogen combined with carbon that's been captured from other processes in order to produce a new fuel that we can use for yet another process. And I think it's that kind of integration between the fuels of the future that we need to look to. That's a very flexible system, isn't it? A very kind of a proactive system that we're moving towards, this not having just one use of a fuel or an energy source, but having it have multiple different uses and roles in our sector and our system. I think if hydrogen can lend itself to that, obviously we've talked about it being a storage vector as well, but if it can evolve and we, have, we develop more uses for it, then obviously it's going to be more valuable. And with that, I think will come more parties that it suddenly catches the eye of, you know, You've listed there all the way from industrial companies to uh, an entire sector of storage thinking, oh, hydrogen. Actually, yeah, maybe I'm interested in looking at that. So, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. The more it becomes an abundant resource that's produced and supplied, the more different sectors that otherwise wouldn't have considered, hey, that might be useful for my business, will start to, start to think whether they need to invest in it uh, and deploy technologies themselves. So the paper that we just published last week on building the hydrogen value chain, which kind of brings some of this, this thinking together, was really highlighting, that I think, a number of things. One is, you know, 
it's the rich environment. There's lots of potential uses. And actually, with a bit of creative thinking, we, we can probably come up with new ways of using this new, this new fuel. And, and that would add significant value as well as helping us to decarbonize. But there is a risk there. I mean, we need to, at this stage, be developing that market. We need to be developing the industry through innovation. And we need to be developing the demand side. We need to be developing those consumer applications of hydrogen. And the risk we were sort of highlighting in the paper was if we just jump in now and say, oh, there's one solution, there's one way of doing this, there's one distribution channel, let's direct government policy, let's direct subsidies to create that, then what we could actually do is lock in quite an inefficient process, an inefficient production process, for example, the wrong distribution channel. And that will be quite hard to dig ourselves out of, as well as potentially wasting time over the next decade. So I think that there's a, a great opportunity here, but we do need to think quite tactically and strategically about how do we open up that opportunity and make sure we put in place support measures that enable hydrogen to grow and realise its full potential. It's not demand-led at the moment, is it? There's, there's not really a demand for it. Well, well, or is that growing? It's growing. I mean, there is. I mean, there's the current use of hydrogen, as you said, I, I think the figure you said was, was it 27 terawatt hours? Yeah. So that's been used at the moment. I mean, a lot of it's converted to ammonia, for example, and used in agriculture. So there's, there's, there's already a nascent market for hydrogen in the UK. Uh, what we're looking for now in terms of growth, I think, is, you know, in transport and, you know, potentially in fuel cells and also more industrial processes to switch over. Now, industrial processes probably aren't going to switch over until they're pretty much forced to. And that's talking about carbon taxes. That's talking about, you know, the, the commitment that needs to be made to achieve net zero. And that's going to require quite a lot of support from government. I mean, you know, Ray, you've been talking to some you know, industrialists in South Wales, for example, and, you know, I think the feedback to you was, oh, well, maybe a decade or something like that was really we need it in the next sort of five years. Yeah, I think you're right that that it is that uh, that some of the some of the companies that have their own challenges to deal with won't go until pushed is is an interesting principle. I think I think that's that's accurate. I mean, there are areas, especially in the South Wales cluster, that are looking to get ahead of the game in terms of researching where it could be possible and and how much they would need to produce and how much they they will need to build physically. But yeah, I think I think you're right that. That's going to be a pocket type thing. There's going to be pockets of activity rather than an entire national shift to the right, which, you know, in a perfect world, that's what a strategy should do. But the country is is a very varied thing. It's it's made up of regional differences and not just in terms of nations, but actually, you know, the geography of the country and the mix of rural and urban. There's some some parts of that um, is is at play as well, I think. So Ray, what, what do you think about the idea that people have suggested to get to get the industry going, we could simply blend up to twenty percent by volume of hydrogen into the current network? So that would create it's a little bit artificial, I suppose, in terms of a demand, but it would create a use for hydrogen which would enable production to increase. Is that a is that a sensible thing to do? I guess technically it's pro, it's possible, but is it a sensible thing to do? As you say, it's an interesting prospect and it and it does test some of the mechanisms that we might need but in some ways i think we've batted the, this around in the team a bit the idea of blending a very you know high quality well-priced product in into a natural gas system 
in some ways almost seems like a waste of that commodity um, and, and, and of that new exciting fuel in some sense. So I think blending will help us understand some of the technical considerations of getting hydrogen into the system, but I don't think in some in other ways it's actually the best use of it once we've produced it. I mean, what do you think? What do you think, Johnny? Do, do, do you agree with that? I think, I think I agree. I mean, I can see the argument about ramping up scale of production and, and, and having it there as a useful outlet for excess hydrogen if we ever get to the point where we're producing more than we need. But it doesn't develop the supply chain downstream. It's not developing the con, you know the consumer market. And in terms of value, I mean, you're taking a product that might be valued at, at the moment, you know, in over 10 to 20 pence per kilowatt hour, and you're putting it into a network to compete against gas, which is currently two pence per kilowatt hour as a wholesale price. So it would require a huge subsidy, by the way. But I mean, that's beside the point, maybe. But the actual development of the value chain, it perhaps doesn't move us that far forward, although it is a, it is a way of getting production to scale. Yeah, yeah. And, and in some sense, getting some of it in the network, I guess, would, would, would seem like a small hurdle, a small milestone that, uh, that the sector would celebrate and, and pop a cork in a bottle of champagne to say, we've got some hydrogen in the, in the system. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a catch-22 in some ways. So. We have seen it be mentioned in quite a lot of the hydrogen strategies that have been coming out. Uh, we've had the Scottish one and the Welsh one, but we're still waiting, still waiting on Bayes. <laughs> Early 2021 the hydrogen strategy so it has been mentioned in those that it is going to be looked at the energy white paper mentioned this hydrogen neighborhood running a whole town on hydrogen and um as Boris Johnson said cooking on it cooking your breakfast frying your eggs that does make sense I mean that does make sense if we're going to test this technology in a hundred percent solution then I think you know you know taking a hydrogen town and going through the whole process of conversion and ironing out some of the issues that Ray talked before, then that does make sense. Probably more so than, than just blending would make sense, I would say. Yeah. And while we, we wait for this strategy, what can, what can we do in the meantime? What are people doing in the meantime around hydrogen? As you know, Grace, from doing research on this in the team, there's a number of innovation projects that are happening now. That Johnny mentioned that innovation is really needed. And I think there is some that's already happening. Testing various things of, that I listed, the safety, the, the billing, the injection, the technology to actually produce it, a lot of these things are happening. So I guess one thing is that we need to do continue to do more of that and learn from those projects to see what is what is useful, what's going to get the costs down, what's going to increase acceptance rates, etc. Um, I think in terms of the hydrogen strategy for the for UK. Um, arriving. We've obviously got some devolved government strategies that have come out around hydrogen. So we've got the hydrogen policy statement from Scot Scottish government. That's interesting to see. And they've you know, made some statements about their aims and ambition for, for hydrogen in Scotland. So um, learning from those devolved governments, um, having a view before national government is an interesting thing. I think we can definitely uh, draw some of the recommendations from those. From my point of view, I'd definitely focus on those industrial clusters, and I think that's already happening. We've mentioned South Wales and and Scotland, and the you know the areas around the, the northwest. My old stomping ground was Stanlow Refinery, so I'd, you know I'd love to see some things happening around a um, Stanlow and a uh, Runcorn in terms of industrial processes. 
And I think developing those new applications of hydrogen to create the real bedrock of the new market is is key. So, you know, in transport and, uh, and, and marine, synthetic fuels as well, I think that's an area that we need to develop quite quickly and, you know, really test the proposition that we can use hydrogen and carbon to produce new fuel types. On the housings, on the heat side, to be perfectly frank, apart from those innovation projects, which I think you know make make some sense, I think we just got to continue the message about energy efficiency. Because whether we go down an electrification route or a hydrogen route, we know that the future of heat is going to be more expensive, and that those technologies will work better in homes that are energy efficient. So absolutely, do not stop and wait to hear what happens with hydrogen before going ahead and doing energy efficiency measures. Is is one thing that I would say. So, Grace, we've been talking about innovation and the importance of innovation. You, you've been doing some research looking at the innovation projects that are currently out there in the UK and some of the ones that are planned. You know, what's been the most exciting ones for you? And, you know, give us give us a feel of the sort of type of projects that are currently underway. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. There's quite a small project base at the moment of active hydrogen production projects. Um, a notable one is Surf and Turf, which actually has then developed into something called Big Hit, and that's in Orkney. Um, what they're doing there is they're using their curtailed renewable energy from wind turbines to power an electrolyzer, and then the hydrogen is being transported to power a ferry, a marine ferry, through a fuel cell. So that's really interesting because it's very niche to their island. It very much looks at the resources they have, the situation they're in, and how does hydrogen feed into that rather than, you know, trying to get a square peg into a round hole, they've really fit that to their island. And then we've also got quite a lot of hydrogen fueling stations around the country at the moment. So these are small scale like petrol stations where the hydrogen is mainly produced on site in a small electrolyzer, probably about 0.7 megawatts or something like that, and directly used to fuel um, HGVs and buses, um, especially bus fleets. So Aberdeen have a bus fleet, which are powered by hydrogen. But looking to the future, there's a lot of larger scale projects that are trying to get out there. There's a few gigawatt ones or even larger than that. Is that blue or is that green hydrogen principally? Are they looking at uh, electrolysis or, or, or reformation? It is a mix of both. I'd say that I think the majority of active projects are green hydrogen. And the majority of large-scale future projects are blue hydrogen. There's the um, HiNet project, the H21, um, Hydrogen Northwest, like a lot in the north. And it's all around large-scale reformation of natural gas to produce hydrogen, uh, combined with carbon capture and storage, either used in industry or used in blending, or for a range of different purposes, focusing on the sector or a cluster and then using hydrogen in lots of different ways within that cluster. So these are ones that um, are looking at potentially being three gigawatts or five gigawatts um, in the future, but scaling up probably before they get there. But there are also large green hydrogen ones. ITM Power, who um, are a manufacturer of electrolyzers, are building or have built a gigawatt factory in Sheffield. And so this is um, a modular combination of smaller electrolyzers that if the demand was there they'd be able to produce a gigawatt of hydrogen from their electrolyzers so it is a mix I think um, 
green hydrogen lends itself to being small scale in lots of different areas and blue hydrogen lends itself to being centralized and it does seem like there is a lot of scope for it and the Bayes innovation funding recently funded millions of pounds to five innovation projects a mixture of blue and green and a project as well looking specifically at increasing the efficiency of carbon capture and storage so that obviously lends itself to blue hydrogen and we need to be able to increase the efficiency of that before we actually can refer to blue hydrogen as a low carbon I think that's that's critical, isn't it? I mean, the Committee on Climate Change has said that we need at least 95% efficiency in terms of carbon capture and storage in order for it to, to really be a low-carbon fuel. That's going to be a challenge, obviously, but, I mean, that's something to go after. I think it's interesting that that probably lends itself to carbon capture and hydrogen almost being tethered. Would you agree, Grace, that the two kind of need to, to develop and, and optimise similar trajectories? I think, yeah, unless we increase our efficiency of carbon capture, we're just producing grey hydrogen, which is what we do now. And it doesn't have a place in a net zero world. So we need to be increasing that. And I think they need to, as you said, work in in parallel, really, um, so that one supports the other and that the funding for one also supports the funding for another. That's the way we're going to get their carbon capture storage is important in many aspects, not just hydrogen. So that is getting that funding anyway. So if we can get that linked with the blue hydrogen, then there might be that might be what the hydrogen strategy is kind of looking at. I think my favourite innovation project is the uh, high spirits looking at using hydrogen in whiskey distillery. And I'm just waiting for my distillery tour. Uh, you know, someone hit up Regen and I'm head of hydrogen. <laughs> I'll go and taste the hydrogen made whiskey. Suddenly <laughs> half the company. Uh, <laughs> that does sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ray and Johnny, for joining me today. It's been really interesting to talk about. Um, I think we really have just scratched the surface of hydrogen here. We're hoping to do a few more in this series and to delve a bit deeper into some of the nuances around it. But it's been really good to get it out there and answer some of these questions that I had a few months ago, starting my research around it. And I know a lot of people have, uh, whether they're in the energy sector or not. So uh, thank you both for joining me today. Thank you to our producer, Rachel, uh, who's been very, very helpful as my first time podcasting uh, and our sound engineer, Harry. Hope to uh, see you all again soon. Obviously, we're virtually doing this podcast. Stay tuned on the Regen website for more of this series. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rich. Thanks.